Thanks for joining me again. I'm Francesca de Valence. You might be wondering what this magic is that I refer to in the title of this podcast, in each episode and in each club conversation. Well, if this piques your curiosity, then in this episode, I share how I first discovered this elemental magic in my songwriting practice. And after so many years of regularly tapping into this energy, how this has become real in my world. Not just luck or maybe something that will happen, but magic that I can trust and rely on. It's hugely significant and affects how I live. And I believe that every songwriter can experience this for themselves too. Thanks for joining me. Welcome to the Magic of Songwriting podcast with iHeart Songwriting Club. In this podcast, we help you reconnect with and experience the transformation, the joy and the magic of songwriting so that you can become the songwriter you've always dreamed of being. I'm Francesca de Valence and I'll be your guide. Let it go. want to take you all the way back to my first experiences with creating music. As a kid, I would sing all of the time. I'd make up little musicals with my sister and perform them in the lounge room or in the backyard to anyone and everyone who would listen. Singing and creating these little songs felt like flying, like like freedom, like the fullest and richest version of myself when I was creating music, even if I sang the same tune twice or even if the songs were made up and performed in real time. My desire to continue to pursue that feeling resulted in taking piano lessons, then violin lessons, and getting involved in the school music groups like band and choir and orchestra. Looking back, all of those music activities, the lessons and the rehearsals, had something in common. They had a structure, a sense of consistency, a community, and accountability to improve. There was a weekly lesson or rehearsal at the same time every week, a person who was holding me accountable to that learning and guiding me to grow, and there were other kids around me who were also on the same learning path as me. I became more confident and skilled and more confident, and I was surrounded by others who were doing this too. It was super fun, and overall, I was thriving doing the thing that I loved the most. By the time I left school, I was so good at music. Now, this was because it was something that I was doing all the time and it spent the most amount of time doing it, so of course I was skilled at it, that I naturally wanted to continue making music. At Music University, there was more of this structure, more of this consistency, community and accountability, so I continued to grow through attending classes and lessons each week, through accountability of assignments and exams, and the community aspect was you know, learning alongside other students in classes and in band rehearsals. This structure for learning, or perhaps a container for learning, for want of a better word, was like a fast path to getting really good. It kept me focused and moving forward, and that's where the results lay. I graduated from university with top grades and remember thinking, okay, great, now I'm going to go and become the musician I want to be. Yeah, I wanted to become a famous pop star. But I had no idea how to go about becoming a famous pop star. I tried to look around for that community or that structure, something familiar to plug myself into to help me grow as I had been growing for the past 16 years. 
But there was no structure, there was no community to becoming a famous pop star. And what's more, I had to figure out how to make money because now that I'd moved out of home and I'd finished my studies, I needed to make money. Could I do both at the same time? Could I make music and make money? I searched, I tried to find where I could do this, and I found that I could make money from playing other people's songs. So I went and did that. I went and did the cover circuit for a long time. It was really fun at first. I was actually a really good musician, so people loved hearing me perform, and I got lots of work, and I played at some really amazing places around the world. But I dreamed of writing my own songs and being an artist singing my own songs, So I figured if I just kept going, someone would discover me doing that and that would just happen. I would become a famous pop star, right? So fast forward 10 years later, I remember standing on stage watching Michael Bublé sing in front of 10,000 people thinking, oh my gosh, this is the best covers gig I'm ever going to get, singing backing vocals for Michael Bublé. But this was not the dream that I wanted to live. This was not what I dreamt of doing for the rest of my life. Have you heard of a documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom? It's interview after interview with backing singers of famous people and their proximity to stardom. It's kind of bittersweet because they feel some of that swell and that excitement from singing on stage in front of tens of thousands of people, but behind the famous person, and they never get an iota of recognition that that front person gets. And that's kind of how I felt. I was so close, but in fact... I was so far away. I had climbed to the top of the wrong career ladder. And that gig with Buble was possibly the best covers gig ever for me. Yet for me to become the artist I wanted to be, I had to start on a completely different pathway. It was clear what I needed to do. And that was the last time I played a covers gig. The very next gig I played was monumentally different. I signed up to play an open mic night at a place called the Muddy Farmer, which is an Irish pub in inner city Brisbane, in the city that I was living in. It smelt of beer (laughs) and I lugged my 25 kilo keyboard, my Roland keyboard on stage. I had invited 20 of my friends and family members along. I remember thinking, this is it. This is where I proved to everybody, yeah, those 20 people, that I had what it took to be a pop star. I remember as I put my hands on the keyboard to play that first song, I couldn't even look at them. I closed my eyes. I felt my legs uncontrollably shake for the first time ever performing. I started really hearing myself for the first time. I really heard my songs for the first time. And they were terrible. In the background of living my wild 20s and playing covers, I was writing some songs here and there. Hardly anyone had heard those songs because I would write them in my bedroom and that's where they would live and sometimes die. My song judgment was also heightened because I'd been playing covers for 10 years. Let's zoom in on that for a sec. Covers are hits. They are songs that have already become popular. They're already tried and tested success stories, success song stories already. I had nothing to prove by playing covers and I had everything to prove by playing my songs. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I really suck at this and I really have a lot of work to do. So I set out to find people who could help me. I didn't even know what I needed. Who could make my songs sound great? How could I learn to be a better songwriter? Well, I mean, okay, there's a producer. They, that's their job to make my song sound great. So I found myself in a loop with different producers who were all willing to record these, what I 
you know, refer back to now as crappy songs of mine for, well, effectively rather large sum of money. Well, maybe that's what it took to become a pop star, an expensive producer. So I chose my producer and the songs for the record, but with every step of the process, I remember thinking, are these songs even any good? They were sounding great from a production point of view, albeit a little too country because I wasn't a country artist, I wanted to be a pop star, but the question lingered, was the songs even any good? At the same time, I started attending a lot of music industry events, conferences, workshops, networking events, to learn as much as I could about the music industry. The feedback from industry was that I needed a booking agent, I needed a manager, I needed a label, and here I was thinking, are my songs any good? Who is the person who decides if my songs are good enough? This is the person I was looking for. This rabbit hole of constantly seeking validation and wanting support continued for a long time. I kept making music, touring, making records, putting them out, but the self-doubt was critical and crippling. Because I'd quit the covers gig, I also had to get another job. So I started teaching music during the day, which led to me doing a master's degree because I really want to be good at what I do. And I really was good at that in the end and was offered a teaching position at a prestigious conservatorium of music. So here I was teaching young singer-songwriters how to sing, how to write songs, how to become a pop star, and I remember feeling like the biggest fraud. I had become a do-what-I-say-not-what-I-do teacher. I would instruct my young students to write a song and bring it to their next lesson, but I couldn't have even done that myself. I remember one day walking home from my job in the afternoon, having a full-blown panic attack on the footpath, collapsing into a garden bed, vomiting my guts up because I couldn't keep living this lie. My mental health was in the worst state it had ever been in and I honestly didn't know what to do. I'm so grateful for what happened the next day because I don't know if I would be here if it wasn't for what unfolded next. In the next morning's lesson, I asked my student to play her song that she had to write for homework. But there was no song. A bit of back and forth and the tears started flowing and the real reason for not writing, she shared it with me. She said, my songs aren't good enough. Here was my 19-year-old beautiful student beating herself up for not writing songs that were good enough. I remember thinking this is exactly how I feel and I instantly felt compassion for what it was that she was feeling. It was that the pain of not writing songs had become greater than the pain or the struggle to just write and in a moment of divine inspiration and truly it was a moment of divine inspiration. I said, I'm creating a songwriting club and you and I will be the first members. I said, we're not going to beat ourselves up anymore. We're going to write songs every week. We're going to write them fast. We're going to make it fun. We're going to make songwriting fun like when we were kids and we're not going to write for perfection. We're just going to write. And that was the moment that this practice was born. Coincidentally, Sting's backing singer, who stars in that documentary I mentioned, had told me a few weeks earlier about a songwriting club in New York that she attended that had sparked her creative journey to writing her own songs and getting on her own artist path. Even that conversation and sharing of that information was incredibly magical and synchronous. In the newly formed club with my student and myself as members, we each invited our friends to join and within a few weeks we had songwriters from all over the world writing songs right next to us virtually in this makeshift online songwriting club. 
we were all writing songs in an hour to a theme that I would send out to everybody and we'd all share our songs with each other and offer feedback up to one another. It was really so much fun. It was really freeing. And after 10 weeks, I thought, wow, I've never written 10 songs in 10 weeks and I've never had so much fun writing songs and I'm never going to stop and the world needs to know about this. It was the first time that I had an inkling of the magic that was songwriting and that magic has only strengthened over the past seven plus years that I've been writing songs every week in an hour. With this perspective, I can look back and see how I used to write songs. Before this practice, I would feel inspired. It would be because I would have gone to the beach or watched a movie or read a book or gone to a museum and I would have felt inspired and I was in that inspiration and I went about writing a song. About 15 minutes into the writing session, I would hit a block and often the block came up because of a sense of judgment that the idea wasn't good enough, that this sounds too Disney-like, that who's going to play this on radio and this triggered a downward spiral of personal insults. Something like, I'm not good enough. Who am I to write songs? There are so many better songwriters than me. This is never going to be good enough. What's wrong with me? Why is this always happening? Why bother? Blah, 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 blah. Can anyone relate? I couldn't bear the pain of all of this insult, so I walked away and continued to tell myself those stories. It created a barrier and a fear around writing songs. My experience was that songwriting was hard. It was painful. It was a tormenting time. It was a battle and I would lose. This meant that I put off songwriting. And yeah, when that pain of not writing became greater than the struggle and the discomfort to just write, this is when everything changed. And instead of waiting for inspiration or feeling like writing, what I did was I put time aside each week to write and sit down to work. I would have some limitations around that creative process so it didn't blow out to be a week-long songwriting session. And in the club, we have that theme and we make it a one-hour time limit. And I found that that works really well for quite a few reasons, mainly that there's enough time to focus and write a finished song without getting too caught up in making it perfect or editing, meaning there's not much time to get attached to it. Now, 15 minutes in, I would have still hit those blocks, especially very early on in the piece. But instead of walking away, I used curiosity or that childlike exploration or discovery to see what could be possible by simply just going to find out. Curiosity is really a powerful tool to keep you in flow. So the goal was finish the song whatever it took. And when it's finished, then immediately record a rough version on a voice memo and send it to my songwriting group for feedback. And my group, you know, they're also songwriters who are also writing to the same theme within an hour. The thing about getting feedback from those people who are on the same journey as me is they can hear beyond the roughness of the draft. They can hear the potential of the song. And it's really sweet relief to hear this from them. We really are our worst critic. So having feedback from others who understand the writing process but who aren't as critical as you, it's really encouraging in order to continue writing songs every week. So then you, as the person who's just written your song, you go and listen to their songs and you realize they're having the same struggles as you and we're all in this together each week lifting each other out of the pit of darkness and closer to the light. So you might be asking, where's the magic in this? Well, in the past, I would struggle to write four songs a year. I'd get lots of starts, a lot of struggling, but only four finishes. Lots of giving up, not a lot of practice at developing songwriting skill. 
When you write songs each week without attachment, you get lots of starts, lots of finishes, lots of practice at finding your way out of the blocks, lots of ways of practicing writing choruses and verses and bridges and melodies and lyrics and hooks and harmonies and structure, lots of practice exploring what's possible on your instrument, on your voice. Lots of research and development is going on when you write songs every week. That in itself is pretty cool. Maybe not magical, but really useful. But what else is going on is lots of finished songs. After writing over 500 songs, I'm confident that over one or two out of every 10 songs is something worth developing or even will arrive fully formed and ready to go. Now that's a bit magical, isn't it? And it's not just my experience. Lots of songwriters in iHeart Songwriting Club tell me about this too. What happens is you get to the end of the year and you've written 52 songs and you know that between five to 10 of those songs will be really, really awesome songs. Now, isn't that a better position to be in than a songwriter who struggles to write four songs a year? Instead, you've written 52, you pick your favorite 10 for an album and generally you let the other 42 go. That's definitely feeling more like magic now, but hold on, wait for it. One of the most magical things that I've experienced from songwriting practice is that this practice in and of itself is like turning on the creative tap every single week. Sure, at first it might feel hard, like it's tight to turn on, it's a squeeze, but over time it starts to turn on without so much stress and so much effort. Then there's more ease to the point where the tap is easy to turn on. Then there's a point where the tap is always on. There's no off when you're writing all the time. There is just creative energy flowing through you at every moment of every day. If you've experienced creative energy before, you might also notice that it feels like joy. There's a very similar vibrational frequency in creativity and in joy in my experience. Because of writing songs every single week for the past seven and a half years, I live in a beautiful flowing energy of joy and it becomes really self-fulfilling. Writing songs, experiencing creative energy, feeling joy. Writing songs, experiencing creative energy, feeling joy. And it's an upward spiral to so much more. Creative energy life force flowing through me has helped me open up and trust my intuition, that creative nudge that I get to honor who I truly am, to help me to grow, to help me to become more in my life, for my life, not just for my music career. Imagine if you wrote songs for your growth, transformation and evolution, not just because you need it for your career. And doing this gives you both personal evolution and career outcomes. But it's not very familiar to many songwriters writing for your own personal growth. It's not a common belief that songwriters have that songwriting can contribute to personal growth. I think it takes a pretty aware person to get on board with this idea without any sort of external motivation, like a career outcome, for example. When you're first getting on your path, it doesn't hurt to have an external motivator, but once that feeling of wellness and joy and fulfillment starts filling your cup, using that as the drive to continue has more far-reaching effects for how you can become the person you want to be than any external motivator can. The magic that I experience from songwriting continues to fuel my life and I will continue to share more about this with the world and with songwriters who feel like there's more to life than writing songs for an album. 
Some of you will no doubt have experienced your own versions of this magic and I'd absolutely love to hear what this is for you. I'd love for you to reach out to us and share what the magic of songwriting is to you. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. To help others connect with the magic of songwriting, we'd love it if you'd take a moment to rate or review our podcast or share it with anyone you think would benefit from it. And if you want to find your community of songwriters, visit us at iheartsongwritingclub.com and let us help you reconnect with the magic of songwriting.